Hello and welcome to Ancient Aliens is Bullshit, discussing episode 5 of season 14, They Came from the Sea. I'm Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi, historian and adjunct professor. This episode presents the idea that Earth's oceans are filled with alien life and are possibly even being used as a genetic playground by extraterrestrials. It begins with an underwater blurry 2004 video of something identified as a ninjen, a fabled sea creature that is said to live off of the coast of Antarctica. This is used to introduce the idea that legends and myths often have a basis in fact. This also supports the idea that because we know so little about the oceans, it's not unreasonable to assume that what we think to be true about them may turn out to be false, given more study. Examples are presented, such as the legend of the Kraken likely being the result of sailors seeing giant squids, and that it was believed in the 19th century that nothing could live below a depth of 1,800 feet, which we now know to be false. The concept that we will learn more and that new information will supersede the old is the basis of the study of any subject, so I don't have a problem with this concept. However, the show wants its viewers to make the leap from, there are things we do not know now, just as there are things we did not know then, to, because I don't know, it might be aliens. To make their point, the show discusses an organism known as the immortal jellyfish, which adapts to an adverse environment by reverting to a juvenile and more adaptable state until conditions improve, at which point they grow up again. The voiceover suggests that this and similar organisms might not be of this earth. The idea is further supported by discussion of the 2014 discovery of sea plankton on the outside of the International Space Station. The show presents this as evidence that plankton, at least these plankton, are from outer space. Support for the extraterrestrial origin is given by Dr. Chandra Rikrama Singh, who claims to have been working on this project with unnamed but very distinguished scientists, and that they came to the conclusion that there is no way plankton could be carried from the Earth into space. A quick review of articles discussing the subject indicates that the observation and collection of these organisms is in itself suspect, but even if they were found on the outside of the station, they are solidly Earth-based. We then move to the idea of panspermia, the idea presented in 1974 by Dr. Wick Ramasing, which says that life on Earth is derived from microbes which came to the Earth from space. There are two different theories of panspermia. The first is that these single-celled organisms came to Earth by the natural collisions of a comet or meteor with the planet. The second is directed panspermia, which is essentially intelligent design by aliens who seeded the Earth with the elements of life. Dr. Wick Ramasing is an advocate of the former, while the latter is probably best known not via the ancient alien theory, but from Star Trek. The show then presents a meeting between Giorgio Zoukalos and Dr. Queenie Chan of the Open University in England. Dr. Chan studies meteorites. She presents two specimens that were found to have liquid water inside salt crystals, and this water has amino acids in it. There's no question as to whether they were contaminated by water from the earth, as they fell in an arid area and were picked up and kept in a sterile condition almost immediately. The presence of amino acids in water from space is not in itself evidence of alien life, at least not the intelligent alien life that the ancient alien theorists advocate. It is, though, as explained by Dr. Michael Denon of UC Irvine, evidence that, quote, earth isn't the only place where the right chemistry exists for which you can get life, end quote. Dr. Chan then explains that the amino acids in the salt in the meteorite are the same as some amino acids found on Earth. Quote, the building blocks of protein that we know to be necessary for life, these very building blocks, the same amino acids that we found on Earth, is ubiquitous in the universe. End quote. When asked her opinion of panspermia, she says it's possible. And it is, but that doesn't follow that intelligent life seeded the Earth. 
The viewer is next presented with images of clickbait headlines referencing a 2018 paper asking if octopuses are aliens. This considerably reduces the science behind the questions about the species' DNA handled in this paper and purposefully ignores the framing of the quote, which explicitly says the scientist is joking when they use the word alien to describe the genome. They then intermix scientists and ancient alien theorists commenting on the complexity of the behavior and genetics of the octopus in varying levels of scientific literacy and usefulness. It is then suggested that octopi are, next to humans, the best suited to evolve to become the dominant species on Earth, in part because they, quote, can edit their own genetic code, end quote. This is explained by Dr. Tom Illiff as RNA producing new proteins in response to environmental factors. But it's presented in such a way that a casual viewer might think that octopi can consciously make these changes. In reality, this is a natural and known means of evolution. The show then moves to a discussion of ancient cultures, which had gods which resembled octopi, and asks if these ancient people knew that the octopus was not native to Earth, or if they encountered intelligent life that looked like octopi. This leads to the question of whether aliens were using Earth to experiment with various hybrid forms. William Henry discusses myths and legends that seem to reinforce this point. It is suggested, then, that such experimentation is continuing on Earth even now, particularly in the oceans. The show then moves to Dr. Illiff's research in the Blue Holes of the Bahamas, where he found new animal species, all adapted to the extremely dense and salty environment. This is evidence of the existence of extremophiles, organisms that can survive and thrive in extreme environments, such as the high pressure of the deep ocean or the freezing temperatures of outer space. There is then a discussion of other extremophiles, which leads to the idea that because the deep ocean is very difficult for humanity to explore, these might be the result of alien interference from alien bases situated at these extreme depths. The show then moves to an odd geological formation off the coast of California, which they suggest is an alien base. They support it with the high number of sightings of UFOs and USOs, unidentified submerged objects. This leads to a discussion of USO sightings around the world as support for the idea of underwater alien bases. Further support is given because the British Royal Navy has recently built a submarine that can remain underwater for up to 25 years. This is a wonderful bit of irony, as the ancient alien theorists are saying that the advanced alien species are doing these things, but their evidence for their ability to do them is that the humans have the same idea. An interesting and seemingly logical idea is then presented. Are sea animals more suited to space travel than humans because they are already accustomed to moving in a three-dimensional environment? In a Lovecraftian moment of fear-mongering, the last few moments of the show discuss the potential for more advanced organisms living underwater, possibly having come here from other planets, and how humanity might interact with them should we meet. One hopes that if we do meet Cthulhu and the Elder Gods, it will be less apocalyptic than Mr. Lovecraft predicted. Ultimately, this episode is an excellent example of how the ancient alien theory uses legitimate scientific ideas and theories by manipulating them to support completely illogical ends. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe and never miss an episode of Ancient Aliens is Bullshit. You can read the posts and see images of what I'm referencing by going to patreon.com slash historywiththezilagis. That's S-Z-I-L-A-G-Y-I-S. You can also follow me on Twitter at I underscore historian and on Facebook by liking the page History with the Zilagis. You can also find me talking Star Trek on the Trek FM podcast network where I am one of the hosts of The Line, a new show about Star Trek Picard. Thanks for listening.